Well, good morning. It's sure good to see you all out today. Those of you that are joining us online, welcome. But it is especially good to see you in this room. I thank you for being out this weekend. And those of you that are guests uh, returning new to MCC, please, if you haven't already, fill out that Get Connected card so that I can know your name and we can be in contact. And most importantly, you can receive the many prayer updates and things that we send out throughout the week, things that we don't necessarily have time to do when we're all together, but please be connected that way by giving us your email address on that card. Uh, Thursday, uh, Jack Haywood, one of our greeters, uh, he's in his early 60s, Karen, uh, he became sick and was taken to Floyd Memorial Hospital. He was diagnosed with pneumonia, and it was supposed to be an overnight stay, and today he's on day three. But I wanted to read to you a text that I received from him last night. We've been in contact a couple of times a day, at least through the family. And I want you to hear his voice in this text. I can hear his voice saying these words. He said, hey, Dave, this is Jack Haywood, as if I don't have him in my contact list. But he said, I am getting all types of meds, but I am feeling good and hanging in there. Karen is fully recovered. Caregivers here are saints this too shall pass. Now I bring this up to you because in this life, all of us, all of us are certain to face illness. All of us are certain to face hardships. But those of us who are Christians are called to respond differently than the world does to these things. Just as we are to not grieve like those who are unsaved, we are to grieve differently. We are to bear sickness differently. And I just want to thank Jack for that. We prayed for him last night. But why don't you welcome him this morning as he's probably watching online. Let's just encourage Jack. Kids, uh, fifth grade and under, you guys can head on down to Clubhouse. It's been good to have you upstairs. But those of you uh, that want to head on down, please uh, do that now. As the rest of us turn in our Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, if you're new to using a Bible, or if you don't have one, please take one home with you today, or you can use your e-reader as long as you put it on airplane mode. But 1 Kings is located about a third of the way into your Bible. Uh, you start at the beginning with Genesis. It talks about God's creation and then God's plan for relationship with us throughout the following books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. You know, it takes us a long time to remember those names. And don't worry about that part. But then you come to First and Second Samuel where the prophets are talking and where the prophets are raised up to anoint kings for the people. And then you come to First and Second Kings where we read about the exchange between these prophets of God, these spokesmen of God, and those that have been chosen by the people to lead them. And it's in First Kings chapter 19 that we're introduced to a man by the name of Elijah. Now, one of the reasons why I turned to this account this weekend in this series is because of what James 5.17 says in the New Testament about Elijah. James says he was a man just like us. That's important to understand. These people whom God has chosen to place as examples in his word, these are men and women, teenagers, if you will, that are just like us. They're prone to the same sin. They're prone to the same adversity. They're prone to the same hardships and trials and sicknesses and diseases, same things that we are faced with today. And so the Bible makes it a point to point this out to us that Elijah was a man just like us. 
And one of the giants that Elijah faced in his life is that of depression. Now, Elijah, he's a prophet of God. He's God's spokesman. He's a preacher, if you will, in a time when the world was upside down. And Elijah is called upon to confront the political leadership of his time. Boy, does that sound familiar? He's called upon to confront a king, a king who had done more evil than any other king before him, more to anger and upset God to go against God's commands than any other king. And Elijah is chosen to go and confront this king and not just confront him, but lay down a reality. And it's a reality that we've talked about before in here. And that is you live and you lead outside of God's will and command. Famine is going to come in your life. Drought is going to come in your life. Hardship is going to come in your life. And that's exactly what he says to the king. He said, there's not going to be rain. There's not going to be dew. There's not going to be water. There's not going to be anything, anything in the form of moisture that's going to come for the next three years, unless I, as a spokesman of God, say so. Now, he's called to confront this king, but also his wicked wife, Jezebel, that we'll get to in a minute. But he seems to have to do it alone. And in the end, he finds himself physically and emotionally drained, depressed to the point of asking God that he has served so faithfully who has shown him such great things. He asked God to take his life. Now, some of you in this room and some of you listening online, I know this is a subject that some of you have looked forward to throughout this entire series, but there are some of you in this room that believe you can't really relate to the state of mind Elijah finds himself in. And you can't imagine being at that point of desperation. Even in your lowest moment, you would never ask God to do such a thing. The thought would never even cross your mind. While there are others in this room that have experienced the lows of life that have felt exactly the way Elijah feels, and maybe you even come here this morning feeling that lowest of lows that isolation. Most of us in this room find ourselves somewhere in the middle. And while depression is a very broad subject, I want us to look at the most common experience we have with this giant. And that is the depression that often follows. Depression that often follows a period of extreme or repeated physical and or emotional challenge. You see, this is where most of us are first exposed to the giant of depression. It comes in our life when we have experienced a significant loss, a significant change, where we have gone through a significant period of isolation. One of my biggest fears and one of the reasons why I was one of the first to speak out against these stay-at-home orders was because there are more serious forces at work than this virus, as serious and as real as it is. And isolation is taking its toll on God's people because we were not meant to be closed up and alone at home. And we say, well, I'll watch online. How many have stopped watching even online because of the isolation and the depression that comes 
I've learned that depression can be brought on by unresolved physical pain. Some, some of you have dealt with back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, foot pain, wife pain. And it has gone on and on so long. It's gone on so long that what happens, and there's documentation for this, there's research for this, it's how I have experienced depression in my life. It's called clinical depression. And it comes from those long periods of drought, those long periods of stress, those long periods of pain, those long periods of suffering from your loss and grieving. Remember, depression is a face of grief. It's one of the many faces that we see. But your body, after that amount of time, and for some of you it's a week, for some of us it's months, years, it depletes those important chemicals in our brain. It's not a matter of being a, a lack of faith or a lack of, of trusting God enough. It's a reality that chemically your body is down. And it needs those chemicals in order to be able to view life differently. I've learned that myself that, that opioid pain medication. I was on pain medication this year for six months with a herniated disc. Is in the middle of COVID, nobody would see me. Nobody would, would uh, do the things that needed to be done. And I came out of that in a deep, deep, chemically induced depression. Emotional stress, taking care of a friend or a loved one who's physically or emotionally unable to care for themselves. Depression has other sources. Alcohol. While we look to alcohol to relieve stress, the very thing that we're putting in our body causes us to become depressed. It's a downer, if you will. Certain medications act that way in our body. And then there are some who are diagnosed with depressive disorders for which there seems to be no known origin, like bipolar disease and individuals who extreme very high highs, but also very, very low lows. Now, when it comes to Elijah's battle with this giant, we don't know his medical history. But what we see in chapter 17 through 18 of 1 Kings is we can see that he was exposed to extreme physical and emotional stress over a three-year period. As I mentioned, he had gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with this king who had done more evil than any other king. When he was done going toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, you know where God sent him? where God placed him next? Did he go ahead and give him his executive office with the window view? No. He sent him to a ditch outside of town to live, a ravine. And then he called Uber Raven or, or Grubhub Raven or Ditch Dashers, whatever, to drop off the food to him. And you know, when ravens have picked over, they're scavengers. There's not much left, but that's what Elijah was dealing with. He was fed by a stream. Who knows what toilets were upstream? But that's where he was to get his water from. When the brook ran dry, where did he have to go next? He went to the center of town, the most unbelieving group of people in town, and he sent to a widow lady with a son, and they have this much flour and this much oil in a jar, right? He asks her for food, and she says what? Chapter 17, she says, I'm getting ready to make my last meal that we can eat it and then die. What in the world? 
Finally, this man of God is told to stand off with 450 prophets. You know, it's one thing to go against a king. It's another thing to go against an entire political party. And he is told to go against 450 representing Baal and then another four or 500 people representing Asherah. And the way he stands off with them is he takes a pile of wood and he soaks it with gallons of water. He digs a ditch around that and fills it with gallons of water. And then he tells them, if your God can light that, well, then let's all bow down and worship him. But if the God of heaven lights it, then let's acknowledge once and for all that he's God, right? You remember that? And what does God do? God calls down fire. He sends fire down. He destroys, he, he, he disintegrates that altar. And then, to top it all off, Jezebel, Jezebel the king's wife, says, I want that man's head. Why does she want his head? Because those prophets were all put to death. Chapter 19, verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, I want you to circle that, and I want you to think about the times that you have run for your life. And I want to ask you this question. Did you run away or did you run toward? Verse 3 says Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. Verse 3 continues. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. You can write in his margin that servant is Obadiah. While he himself went on a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, prayed that he might die. Listen to his words. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Can you hear it in his voice? I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than anybody Anybody that's come before me, look at me, I'm a failure. It's one of the things that depression does, is depression skews, it distorts. Depression skews our perspective of self. And it also skews our perspective of what's going on around us, the situation, the challenge around us. Elijah was in such a state of emotional and physical exhaustion that all he could focus on were his weaknesses, his shortcomings. And that's when the giant shouts the loudest. You know, something that I found in my low points, in my times of depression, you know, we don't even like to admit it, do we? We like to say other words. But in my times of depression, just like you, when I'm drained emotionally or physically or spiritually, and those chemicals are all out of whack in my innermost being, it seems the truth is far from me. <laughs> Have you found that? Your own mind, your own mind, your own heart, skews everything. No matter how hard I try to fight to believe the truth about who God says I am, no matter how hard I try to overcome the giant with truth, it, ju it just seems in that moment you can't get there by yourself. And that's what happened to Elijah. In fact, the help that God had sent Elijah, Obadiah, his friend, his servant that had walked with him, 
He leaves him behind. Have you ever found that in your life? When you're down and depressed, even the people who are closest to you, you, you start pushing them away. This man had been so faithful. He had protected hundreds of other men like Elijah from this crazy king, but, but Elijah leaves him behind. Why? Why? Well, this is just my speculation, all right? This isn't written in Scripture, but it's from my own experience. Here's what I think. I think Obadiah didn't really get it. I don't think Obadiah could really connect with Elijah right now, or Elijah couldn't connect with him right now because it's something that the giant does. Very few understand the reality of depression. Very few. You know, if you've never bothered to study depression or even be informed of its cause and symptoms, well, you have no ability to empathize with the millions who do suffer at the hands of this giant every day. But there's someone who does understand. God does. God understands. I I shared recently with an individual who has bipolar disease. I've known this person for the last 12 of 15 years of my ministry here. It's very obvious. And we've talked many, many times about their struggle. And I feel at times that I've mentioned mine, but, but apparently... I I haven't because just a few weeks ago, I looked this person in the eye and I said, you know, I struggle with depression. And you know, it, it was a light came on in their eyes and they said, you understand. It was such a relief to them to know that someone could understand the self-loathing, the feelings of worthlessness that those overcome by depression experience. Elijah was so disappointed. He, he felt so worthless. He felt abandoned. He felt alone. He was in over his head. And so verse 3 says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, some thought he was running away. And many of us do run away. But Elijah ran towards something. He ran towards someone. And we're about to see the one who met him halfway. Elijah ran as far as he could that day. It says a day's journey into the desert. He leaves Obadiah, he goes into the desert, he seems uh, all alone, but he wasn't alone. The psalmist wrote, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go, God, from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, (laughs) there you are. Even when I've made my bed in the depths, the lowest of lows, there you are. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, well, surely the darkness will hide me. I can just hide out here. Well, it won't be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. There's no place that you and I can go where God isn't there waiting for us to reach out to him. But here's what we're about to see, and that is in our lowest of lows, it's God who reaches out to us. Verse 5, Elijah fell asleep under a tree. All at once, it says, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Elijah looked around. There by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Very familiar if you know the backstory, right? What did God provide him in the ditch? Bread and water. What did God provide him in the widow's house? Bread and water. 
Elijah ate and went back to sleep. All at once, verse 6 continues, an angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. I want you to underline that. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Now I want you to notice two things. First of all, God did not wake up Elijah to lecture him. To say, Elijah, I have been with you in that ditch. I was with you when you were with the king. I was with you when you were with the wo widow woman, which by the way, her son died while Elijah was staying there. And Elijah threw himself over the, the son and prayed a prayer and he came back to life. I was with you in that, Elijah. He didn't wake him up and lecture him about how weak his faith is. Now, depression will do that. Depression will wake you up in the middle of the night and tell you all the things that you've done wrong. And that'll become your focus. But what did God do? God gave him rest. God gave him food. He woke him up again and said, you need to eat some more. And notice he says this, for the journey is too much for you. Listen, the journey, some of the circumstances that you and I face in this life are too much for you. If you have been taught that wrong belief that God will not give you more than you can bear, you cannot find that anywhere in his word or his promises to you. You won't be tempted beyond that which you can bear, but you'll be provided a way out, and that way out is Jesus Christ. That way out is your faith. But you can bet God will give you more than you can bear. He did the apostle Paul. He did Jesus Christ. And he'll do it to you. Why? Because his strength is made perfect in your weakness. We are here to bring glory to him, not glory to ourselves. And so, yes, we're going to have circumstances that are more than we can bear. And that's what the angel, that's what God is saying here, is this is more than you can bear. The journey's too much for you. And so God comes and he strengthens us. He sends an angel. He sends a physician that can administer the right medication. He sends a pastor who's, who's been in that valley. He sends a friend. He sends someone who's been comforted in their time of need to comfort us with the same comfort that God's given them. You see, God understands our struggle. God knows this giant. And he knows what we need physically and he knows what we need emotionally. And listen, our responsibility is we must be willing to accept it. We must be willing to accept his provision, his truth, and his ways. I had this conversation last night. Elijah had to decide. He had to decide in his lowest of lows to do what? To accept what God has given him. He had to decide to get up and eat. He had to decide to get up and drink a water. And soon we'll see he had to decide to get up and keep moving forward. This finally clicked with me several years ago. I was sitting with a very wise man, a PhD in psychology, who had given his entire life and practice specifically to ministers that are hurting. He opened a ranch out west. Now he has one in Florida. And it's where pastors go that are broken. And, and pastors, we make so much money. It costs $20,000. You go and you spend a month or two with this man and he puts you back together and sends you back out. I didn't have $20,000, but I had a friend who knew him, which is better. 
And I got two hours with this guy one day, been six, seven years ago, got two hours with him. At the end of those two hours, he said, now, now does that help? And I said, not one bit, not, not one bit. It didn't. All, he, 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 he knew me. I mean, he called it, he was exactly right, the things that he said. But did it help? Absolutely not. But in the last two minutes of his prayer, it all came together. <laughs> That's what you do when you can't figure it out, right? Then you just pray. Oh, God. <laughs> he said, help David to trust you with the things he feels like he can control in the same way he's trusted you with the things that he can't control, that are outside of his control. When you think about it, it's so simple. <laughs> but when you're depressed, it's so hard <laughs> to realize there are things that we still try to control. <laughs> but the only way to really turn it over to God is to realize that you can't, but he can. It's too much for you to bear. The angel of the Lord fed Elijah because he knew the next 40 days were critical. He knew Elijah needed to be strengthened. And those days are critical in your life and mine when we're at our bottom, when we just can't get ourselves up. And when you and I are in the battle with depression, it's here that we're tempted to give up, to stop doing the things we've been faithfully doing to guard our hearts, to allow our mind to wander, Verse 8 says he chose to obey and move forward. Elijah got up and ate and drank and looked. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Elijah continued to the place that I believe he was going all along. You see, Elijah, even though he wanted to die, even though he wished life would be over right then, even though he was emotionally and physically drained, he was depressed, there was a place that he could go and be well. It was the place that others before him had experienced God, right? Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, where God had appeared to Moses, where God's presence enveloped the whole mountaintop. That's where he was going. The psalmist had a similar experience. He said, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not doze off. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither doze off or sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Sometimes that shade comes in the form of a broom tree in the middle of the desert. But he's your shade at your right hand. The Lord watches over you. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life, even when the Jezebels are nipping at your heels, the self-doubt and disappointment that want to consume you. Let him protect you from you. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. What a promise. And what a God. In verse 9, Elijah finally reaches a place he had set out for. Some 45, 50 days earlier when he ran for his life, over 250 miles, he traveled until he reached the mountain of God. And the first thing that he does again is he lays down. <laughs> it's real. 
It's real. He lays down. He's not healed. He lays down. And verse 9 says, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? The word of the Lord. Have you ever been down and out laying on your back? There, there's a song, uh, rescue uh, song, that's written by an artist who talks about the day that he lay in his hotel room wanting his life to end. And the word of the Lord came to him. Does that mean he had a, and an, uh, he, he heard it audibly? I, I don't know. Some people, I think God gives that to. But you know, more so what happens is the word of the Lord comes in ways like this. The Lord is my shepherd. He sometimes makes me lie down in green pastures when I don't want to. He leads me beside still waters and, and gives me a drink. He restores my soul. The word of the Lord ever come to you? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the very worst death that could ever happen, your rod and your staff, God, they comfort me. They pull me in. Your staff pulls me in and your rod, your rod kind of pushes me forward when I need that push forward. The Lord is my shepherd. God is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help in trouble. Though the earth give way and the mountains roar and the waters surge, there's a place the city of God never will I leave you never will I forsake you the word of the Lord came to Elijah and as Elijah lay there God speaks what are you doing here and I think that was a rhetorical question Elijah Elijah you're afraid uh, Elijah fearful why are you feeling all alone Elijah what are you doing here years ago in my oldest Olivia well, my oldest Olivia was about Emma's age. She was so upset about something. She was in tears when I got home. And instead of telling her to suck it up or to buck up, that's what her mother does, I went in and I lay down next to her and I said, basically, what are you doing here, Olivia? You hear the difference? What are you so upset about? What's going on? And, and she spilled her heart. You know, this is what's going on. I'm so upset. You know, tears, you know how girls can be. Some of you have boys that way. God help you. And I asked her again, what's going on, Olivia? And again, and finally, finally, I helped her work through her thoughts. I think this is what God's doing with Elijah. He asked him the first time in verse nine, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah pours out his heart. God, I've experienced all this stuff. I feel so alone. I've tried my best for you. Everybody's dead but me. Verse 11, the Lord says, okay, Elijah, I want you to go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of God, for I'm about to pass by. And as Elijah stood there, verse 11 says, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But I want you to notice the Lord was not in the wind. A great earthquake came, shook the entire mountains. I, I imagine being in that cave and having the gravel fall on his head. But the Lord, it says, wasn't in the earthquake. Then, then fire came and, and he felt the heat coming into that cave. How many of us 
have wanted God to move in big ways. God, if you'll just put a billboard on 65 while I'm driving through, right? It's like the guy that wants the donut that he knows he shouldn't have. And so he prays as he circles the block 15 times. If I come around this time, there's a parking place, it must be for me, right? It must be from you, God, right? We want the big stuff. We want God to decide an election. Uh-oh, is right. We want God We want God to stop coronavirus. We want God to make us all safe. We want him to do the big things. Up until this time, Elijah stayed in the cave until verse 12 says, after the fire came a gentle whisper, and when Elijah heard it, he covered his face and stood in the mouth of the cave. He heard the wind, he was shaken by the earthquake, he felt the heat of the fire. But it was the gentle whisper that brought him out of the cave. The gentle whisper. And that's when Elijah, standing there, God asked him the second time, what are you doing? And I wish that we could hear the tone, the inflection of Elijah's voice, because this time I think it was different. I think this time in the mouth of that cave, the giant of depression got much smaller and God got much bigger to Elijah. The fire came back into Elijah as God laid out what was to happen next. You can read at home, verse 15 through 18, putting a new king into power, giving Elijah someone to help him carry on the work that Elijah had begun. But it's in verse 18 that God says something significant as he gave Elijah his instructions. He says to Elijah, he said, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. (laughs) That means something to those of us who've been there. You're not alone, David. You're not alone, Brandon. You're not alone, (laughs) Evie. There are thousands of others (laughs) who are out there who have been in that valley and that pit, but they've made it through. You're not alone. You may feel alone. That's what the giant wants you to believe that you're alone. But I, God, have reserved 7,000 other people. And I can assure you their hearts have not been compromised. (laughs) You're not alone. Oh, how we need to hear those words from God sometimes. (laughs) More importantly, we need to know that reality in our life. Several weeks ago, Pam brought me these two cups. On Wednesday night, Don Elmore, one of our elders, he leads one of our groups, fifth grade and under downstairs. This came from the fourth grade group. But these were cups that Pam gave to them. She always comes up with these inexpensive things to do. And that's a joke if you know Pam. But she comes up with these cups that we get free, by the way. She wouldn't give them cups that we had to pay for. She gave them cups that were free and uh, slightly used, but nonetheless, they're, they're free. And she says, she says, this cup, this cup is something that you can write a prayer request on. This cup represents you and what you want God to do in your life. And, and so Don and his group, they were given the opportunity to, uh, to choose what they're going to do. And so these were two cups that she brought up and put on my desk. And, and the first one came from my daughter, who's in the fourth grade. This was back a few months ago, and this was back when we were getting ready to fly to Mexico. She said, 
I need courage, C-O-R-E-G-E, she spells like her dad. I need courage to fly on the plane on vacation. She knew, she knew where to turn when she needed courage to fly on the plane. But it's this one who came not from my daughter, but from one of your children. Fourth grade, maybe third grade. Depression. Family arguing. And at first, it, it wanted to break my heart that a child so young would understand what depression is and what it looks like in their family. But very quickly, my despair for that child turned to joy when I realized that when they are feeling depression, when they are in the midst of this giant doing battle in their home, that they can go to the Lord. There's a place, there's a person that they can go to, the mountain of God, where he will fill them back up. What about you? Are you sitting under a broom tree this weekend disappointed and struggling with depression? Maybe some of you are in the middle of that 40-day journey, 40 nights, and it seems that you're never going to get there. You've come to the right place this weekend. You've chosen, like Elijah, to get back up and to come. And God is here. He is here, whispering to your soul, what are you doing here, Leroy? <laughs> Not, what are you doing here, Leroy? What are you doing here? What's got you so down? Have you seen your doctor? Oh, you have? Well, now let's talk about your faith. Let's talk about what you've seen me do or what I want to do in your life. He's waiting for you to respond like Elijah did. And we respond by engaging God full on, responding to his voice, that whisper. Are you going to ignore it? Or are you going to say yes to it? And let him lead you in your next step in the journey. You see, most importantly, most importantly, like Elijah, you can leave here assured that he is with you today. You've seen him. You've seen him. Now it's time to respond. The prayer goes like this. God... I want to engage this life that you have for me. And sometimes I do, but sometimes I'm worn down. Sometimes I'm flat out disappointed in myself and I feel alone and overwhelmed and even the things that I once thought were true about me that you've told me about myself, God, this giant has got them so turned around in my mind that I just can't see it right now. But God, I come to you for strength. I come to you for the truth. I come to you for the life that you offer. And it's hard for me to say it, but I'll do what it takes to confront this giant. If only you'll restore me and point me the next step I need to take, knowing that you're walking with me, leading me on.
Last night as I came, and we had a great crowd last night, but in that crowd as I watched them come in and seat, be seated just as I watched you this morning, there was one particular person that I've been at their house at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I've been on the phone at 4 in the afternoon, and I have held their hand, and I have wept, and I have gotten in their face and talked mean. I've done it all. In these last two years, they have finally found freedom from the giant of depression. <laughs> and during this time of invitation, I, I asked people that have, that have made it to the other side if they would come and stand with me and show the church that they're not alone. And, and one of those people that got up was that person. And I went over and I talked to them and I said, can you tell me what helped? Because I know that he was on medication after medication. This is something that he had wrestled with for years, years. And he looked me square in the eye. And he said, you know, it was God. It was God. Did God use a lot of things and a lot of people? Absolutely. But it was ultimately God. And I mean to know this person today and to know their success at work, to know their success at marriage, in life, to not, to not be weighed down anymore, to not be sitting under a broom tree at all hours of the night wanting to die. Oh, if only one more person would decide that. I pray that you're that person today. Come and let me pray with you. Come and let me encourage you. But most importantly, come to the one who's whispering in your ear right now and say yes to him. I plead with you. Let's stand and let's sing.